Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So as Kaylee and I were kind of looking back at, at where we were this time last year, um, man, it's a little bit different. <laughs> we were thinking back uh, to what church looked like, and I think it was two tables stacked on top of each other right here where we had a, my webcam from my office on top of it to try and figure out how on earth we do church when nobody's here. Uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of our family celebration, we couldn't be with my mom and my dad because we were concerned about what sheltering in place meant and we were just kind of figuring all of that out. And, and if we look back, I'm sure all of you have similar stories of the way things looked a year ago. <laughs> and it's interesting to see how over that period of time, how much has changed uh, in terms of how we gather, in terms of how uh, those events have shaped and transformed how the church uh, acts, how the church uh, interacts with our community, how, how that event has kind of been a catalyst to push the capital C church and also Wood Street Chapel outside of the four walls of this building into our community. And what an awesome opportunity that that has represented. And what an awesome way to see the gospel move. And it's very similar to what was happening in the, the early church when there was persecution towards that church. That's what it took to drive them out from Jerusalem, out from the, the comfortable places into the, the world and into the mission field that God had called them. And so as it's so easy when it comes to COVID, when it comes to sheltering in place, when it comes to social distancing and all of those different things, it is so easy to look at it as this just overwhelming thing to keep track of. But the fact of the matter is it is something that is bringing about God's mission on this earth, that, that not only does COVID not get in the way of God's mission, God uses those types of things to see his mission completed. And what an awesome opportunity and awesome uh, demonstration of God's power that, that those things that seem so overwhelming to us aren't things that, that catch him off guard. They aren't things that, that create a, a problem or difficulty for him at all. This morning, I want to talk to you about refrigerators. <laughs> Seems like a, an appropriate topic for Easter, right? So um, as I've shared over the past couple of weeks, my family and I are in the midst of uh, working to sell our home and, and we're uh, working to purchase a home here in Fortuna. And so as we go from house showing to house showing, I have observed that there is a lot to learn about somebody based on what they put on their fridge. And, you know, we, we've known about magnetism for thousands of years, but it really wasn't up until the, the 20th century that we, we finally figured out the entire point of a magnet was so that you could stick your kid's artwork on the fridge. 
that the entire point of a magnet was so you could have that mile-long shopping list that you wanted your significant other to go get or that you yourself had to go get. That magnets were supposed to be for, for putting up that weird haiku that nobody but you understood or, or that limerick that, that is using all of those you know, conversation uh, magnets that you can get in that pack. That's, that's the whole point of having magnets, magnets right? There's, there's no other use for them. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> And so while we've been walking through these different homes that we've toured, um, especially the homes that, that have the family still living in them, we see parents displaying pictures and portraits of their families. We see proud children displaying their, their artwork. We see all of these different items that have been stuck to the surface of the fridge, this central gathering place, so that they can be noticed, so that they can be admired, so, so that they can be observed by, by anyone that would see it. Most of us know the, the events that have led us to this morning. Most of us know the events that have led us to this time that we're celebrating in terms of of Jesus Christ going to the cross willingly. Jesus Christ being nailed to die on that cross, dying and being placed in a tomb, and three days later he is arisen. But we're going to go a little bit further back than that. In the beginning... In Genesis chapter 3, we see now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say we must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will surely die. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it and she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. And they made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He said, I, I heard you were in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you? That you were naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And, and the man said, The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said, That the, certain dece- the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Then if we skip down to verse 21, it says, Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. And God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden 
cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And so here we see at the very beginning in chapter 3, our first magnet that's getting placed on this heavenly refrigerator. And in verse 21 specifically, it says that Father God chose to sacrifice his creation. He chose to, to shed blood to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. God demonstrated that the only way to cover up shame, the only way to cover up sin, the only way to cover up guilt, the only way to cover up nakedness is through the shedding of blood. The sacrifice of one who is never to blame. If we move forward through the flood that was weathered by Noah and and we come to a man named Abraham, Abraham was given a promise where he was anxiously awaiting the arrival of his baby son, and he, he made some bad choices along the way. But eventually, his son Isaac is born. This son, this child who has been promised to him. In Genesis 22, it says, Sometime later, God t- tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am. Abraham replied, and then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey and he he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering?" And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went together. And when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar. And there there he arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he, he reached out his hand and he took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Here we see another magnet that goes on the refrigerator. It's no accident at all that there's a a specific verse that we see here that, that echoes another verse from the Gospel of John. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Not only was, was Isaac spared, God provided a replacement. God provided a, a replacement sacrifice for Isaac, just like another replacement sacrifice has been provided for us. And if we move forward from Abraham, we come to Moses. Moses, as he is battling against Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, as he is proclaiming the word of God to let my people go. There's a final judgment that is spoken about in Exodus chapter 11 and chapter 12, where this, this terrible plague is coming across against the people of Egypt. The, the firstborn of the land are to be killed by the angel of death as it passes over, passes through the land. But God has a plan. God has an instruction that he has given to Moses and given to the people of Israel so that they will be saved. This plan, this instruction of, of placing the, the blood of a, a lamb and not just any lamb, it has to be a, a lamb without blemish, a, a pure, spotless lamb. The blood has to be sprinkled on, on the doorposts of the home. And in the midst of that, there's this meal that they are to be partaking from that, that involves all of this symbolism that we've talked about before. And in chapter 12, it says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor. And having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person who will eat it. The animals you choose must be a year old without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. And when all of the members of the community of Israel come together, they must slaughter them at twilight. And then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house where they eat. And the same night there's the same night they are to eat meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over the fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left, you must burn it. And this is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat it in haste because it's the Lord's Passover. And on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign. It will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no destructive plague will touch you. And here we see this, this third magnet. 
We learn that, that sacrifice can't, can't just be any old thing. It can't just be the, the runt of the litter. It can't just be the lamb that's maybe been hit by a car that just isn't really quite as, as lovely looking as the others. It has to be a lamb without defect. It has to be pure. It has to be perfect. It has to be spotless. The blood of this Passover lamb then acts as a sign rescuing any who choose to live under its covering. Moving ahead yet again, we come to another interesting point in the Old Testament. We see this man named Jonah. Jonah has been sent by God to communicate God's judgment on the, the people of Nineveh, and he's calling them back to repentance, saying, you, you are going to receive judgment because of the choices that you have made. But rather than obey God's call to, to go to the city of Nineveh, he turns and he goes the other way, and he finds himself caught in a storm. The sailors that are with him decide that rather than allow the entire boat to be destroyed, it's better for Jonah to be thrown into the sea. And so uh, the Bible says that Jonah jumps into the sea. I, I wonder if he was helped maybe a little bit. Um, so he jumps into the sea only to be swallowed by a large fish. And in Jonah 1.17, we see that Jonah is in the dark belly of this fish for three days and three nights. At which point he emerges and he's restored to life on dry land. And here we see the, the fourth magnet that is on the, the heavenly refrigerator. And sometimes when I, I think about this, and this feels a little bit more like one of those far side magnets where God's putting it up there like, man, that Jonah. We see that, that there's, even in the midst of man's disobedience, God is still looking at how he can communicate the event that is about to take place. What do we know about God the Father? We know that he loves us. What do we know about God the Father? We know that he is good. And what is a critical quality of a good father? A good father will do whatever it takes to rescue his children. And because God is all-powerful, because God is all-knowing, he is all-seeing, he is always present, the events that unfold here in this lower story that, that we've read this morning and throughout the, the word of God, the events that take place here on this earth reflect the overarching story that we have talked about again and again and again, and that is that God loves his children that God will do what it takes to rescue his children. And we see that borne out in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, not just because he felt like it. He created it because he loved us and he wanted relationship with us. He created, and then he found ways to bring us back to him when we messed up, 
when we made the choices to, to introduce sin into the world, when we chose to put ourselves on the throne, God said, I have a plan. And even then, in that moment, in that, that sacrifice of that animal in the garden, we see that it was never the final plan. The, the sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah was never the final plan. The, the pure, spotless lamb that sacrificed with the blood sprinkled on the doorpost, that was never the final plan. And thankfully for Jonah, living in the belly of the fish was never the final plan. Jesus Christ laying in a borrowed, empty tomb was never the final plan. God, God's plans never fail. God's plans for your life never fail. God is alive. Jesus Christ is alive and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Romans 8.31, it illustrates that, that courtroom drama that we, we think about sometimes where, where on the one side we have the, the devil condemning and accusing of all of the things that we have done. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat this. This isn't a matter of, of Satan making things up. He doesn't have to make things up because we have messed up enough on our own. And on the, the other side, we have Jesus, and they are both pleading their case to, to a heavenly father who is the judge. But in Romans 8, 31, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long and we consider we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What can separate us? Nothing can separate us. Nothing, no choice that you have made is too bad to separate you from a love that will pursue you to the ends of the earth. This morning, we have an opportunity not only to celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this is communion Sunday. This is an opportunity for us to remember that he died as well, that he died on that cross, that, that he gave himself willingly. 
And in a few minutes, we're going to go from this place and we're going to participate in a baptism where a couple of people have made a choice to, to be baptized this morning. And that baptism is just one more picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of proclaiming that we are now dead to everything that this world has to offer and we are alive in Christ Jesus. That the old self has been done away with, that the old self has been crucified on that cross with Jesus and that that new self that emerges is here, ready and waiting to participate in the mission that God has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, Lord, we ask that you would just continue to make real to us the choice that has been made, the choice that has been made to come and rescue us, God. This morning, we recognize that you are a good father, that you are a God who who will do what it takes to rescue your children. And Lord, as we come to this time of communion where we, we recognize that, yes, you did come to this earth, and yes, you did live a sinless life, and you also died on a cross for our sins, Lord, we, we come and we thank you for that. God, we proclaim that you are Lord over all. You are Lord over the the hardships that we face. You are Lord over the blessings that we receive, God. You are our Lord over life and death. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.